Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse his children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly, because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your maidservant. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the maidservant into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down nearby, about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there nearby, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, but I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock, and Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called upon the name of the Lord, the Eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time.
Julian uh, said to me last week that he couldn't cope with the, uh, the microphone being tilted down. So I promised that I would do it at a right angle <laughs> so that it, would, uh, it wouldn't distract him. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we pray now that as we come to your word uh, that you would speak to us by your Holy Spirit uh, through your words in the Bible uh, so that we would know you and love you more. Lord, that you would call us to yourself, that you would encourage us and equip us and strengthen us uh, to live for Jesus. We ask it for his name's sake. Amen. Well, we're heading back this morning to the book of Genesis. Uh, there's a, uh, an insert in the leaflet about the series that we're uh, starting. Genesis is the first book of the Bible, and uh, if you're joining us here at the branch for the first time this morning, this might seem like a kind of a really random collection of stories uh, that we just read from Genesis 21. But what we read is really just the middle of the story. Uh, it's a bit like opening up a book in the middle and starting to read from the middle of the book. You have no idea what's going on. At the beginning of the year, we uh, started from the very beginning of the Bible and we spent about 10 weeks looking at uh, what the Bible has to say about the world and why the world is as it is. So coming back to Genesis now then, today, it might be helpful to fill in some of the backstory. Way back in Genesis 1, uh, we saw how God created the world. God created the world good and he created men and women to rule over the world under him. But those first two human beings, Adam and Eve, rejected God's authority over them. They chose to try and run the world in their own way without God uh, and without the God who created and sustained the world. And by doing that, by trying to rule the world without the creator and sustainer of the world, they plunged the world into death and decay. And that's the world that we see now. But even as that happened, even as the world was plunged into disarray and death, God promised that he would raise up a descendant of Eve through whom he would crush Satan's head. God would end evil and restore the world to its created perfection. Later, God raised up Abraham and promised that it would be from Abraham's descendants that God would fulfill his promise, that God would raise up a man to rescue the world and deliver uh, people from sin and death and judgment. But Abraham and his wife Sarah had been getting old uh, and they'd been getting older and older and they still had no child of their own. They still didn't have this child through whom the promised saviour of the world would come. And now in Genesis 21, that's where we're at. In Genesis 21, that child finally comes. The first phase of God's plan uh, begins to be put into place And Abraham and Sarah have the child that God had promised to them. And I think that's the most important thing for us to take away from chapter 21, is that God keeps his promise. Four times in the first few verses, we're reminded that what is happening is exactly what God had promised would happen. 
So the beginning of verse 1 says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said. Or the end of verse 1, The Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Or verse 2, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the, at the very time God had promised him. Verse 4, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded. It had been at least 14 years since God first promised to Abraham that he would have a son. And after all that time, I think most of us will begin to doubt whether or not God would really do what he had said he would do, whether God would really come through on his word. Not only had it been a very long wait, Abraham and Sarah were were very, very old. Abraham is a hundred and Sarah's not much younger. In fact, their age is a joke. It's utterly ridiculous. Sarah says in verse 6, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children, yet I have borne him a son in his old age? It's ridiculous. But God did it. God finally did what what he had promised. Long waits... And ridiculous odds are no sign that God won't do what he has said. I think we're inclined to believe that time equals unfaithfulness. That is, if we ask God for something and it takes more than a day for him to answer, we give up hope. We pray for someone to be converted. We pray for a child to return to Jesus. And after a few weeks, a few years, it's hard to go on praying. And I think not just because we get tired of doing it over and over again, but we begin to doubt whether or not God will actually do what we ask. We give up hope. And I think if we're honest, sometimes even the fact that it's taken this long for It's been this long since Jesus came the first time and it's been 2,000 years and he hasn't come again. I think if we're honest for some of us, sometimes we go, will he ever come again? It might make us doubt whether Jesus really is who he said he was. But time doesn't equal unfaithfulness. Your parents might promise you a share of their property in their will But the fact that you don't have it yet doesn't mean that they've changed their mind. It just means that they're not dead. (laughs) In that case, there's a reason, isn't there, why you haven't received what was promised. And I think that the truth is that we struggle to believe that there might be a reason why God hasn't yet given us what he's promised But Peter tells us in one of his letters in the New Testament, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Abraham and Sarah waited at least 14 years to do what God had promised, but Isaac still wasn't the ultimate son. It would be a thousand years at least 
before the promised saviour of the world actually came in the person of Jesus Christ, the ultimate descendant of Eve and Abraham through whom God uh, is putting the world right. But Jesus finally did come, just as God had said. But even still, we're still waiting. We're still waiting for Jesus to return. We're still waiting for Jesus to finally and fully save all those who put their trust in him. We're, fin- we're still waiting for Jesus to finally put an end to everyone and everything that opposes him. But Jesus will do it. We're waiting for God to put an end to our sin. Our own sin, which offends God and offends other people and hurts us. We're waiting for God to put an end to the sin of other people. The sin of other people which hurts and grieves and abuses us and takes advantage of us. The sin which creates injustice and selfishness. The sin which causes people to flee from one side of the world to another, facing almost certain death. We're waiting for God to put an end to the sadness of, a living, of living in a broken world, in broken bodies. For some of us, the prospect of living for another 30 years means the prospect of living with daily pain. Or another 30 years of living with mental illness. Or another 30 years of living with the scars of having been abused or taken advantage of or driven out of business. For some people, the prospect of living for another 30 years is a painful prospect, isn't it? Those years can seem like a long wait. But it's so important to know that we're not waiting because God is lazy or because God is slow, but because God is patient and kind. God will keep his word. God is a God who keeps his promises. Well, following that brief account of the fulfilment of God's promise to Abraham and Sarah, there are two other curious stories The first is uh, the story of Hagar and the second is the story of Abimelech. They're two foreigners and strangers who aren't completely part of the family of Abraham. The first story traces uh, Hagar and her son Ishmael. You might remember that in an attempt to fulfil God's promise themselves, Abraham and Sarah had earlier come up with a cunning plan Uh, to have a child by getting Abraham to sleep with his Egyptian servant, Hagar. The child that Hagar bore to Abraham was Ishmael. But now in Genesis 21, when Abraham and Sarah have their own genuine legitimate child, there's conflict between Isaac, the legitimate son, and Ishmael, the illegitimate son. In verse 6, Sarah says that people who see what God has done for her will laugh with her because of the ridiculousness of God's faithfulness that in her old age she's had a child. But now in verse 9, Ishmael is not laughing with Sarah and Isaac, but he's laughing at them. 
Sarah sees Ishmael mocking Isaac, and so she goes to Abraham and says, I want you to send them away. Abraham, understandably, is deeply distressed. After all, it's his son, isn't it? But God encourages Abraham to listen and not to worry because God will keep his promise that Ishmael will become a great nation. That is, Sarah might be casting these people off, but God isn't. So Abraham sends Hagar and Ishmael off to wander in the desert uh, with some water and some food, but that supply quickly runs out. Hagar is utterly desperate, and so she does a desperate thing. She leaves Ishmael, her son, under a bush and she goes away because she can't bear the prospect of seeing him die. And she goes away to die herself. And in a distance, having left her child behind, she bursts into tears. I think this is one of the most heartbreaking and tragic stories in the whole Bible. It's just, I think it's devastating. It's hard to imagine what it would be like to be in that situation. This woman is first forced out of her home by a jealous wife. She and her son wander in the desert. They run out of water and she leaves a child to die. It's one of the most tragic stories in the Bible, but actually it's also one of the most encouraging. Because God doesn't ignore the suffering of Hagar and Ishmael. Interestingly, it's Ishmael who cries out and God hears. (laughs) Perhaps he's sorry for what he'd done. Perhaps he's sorry for mocking Isaac. Whatever the case, though, God hears Ishmael crying and he speaks to Hagar and he says, go and get the child. Uh, God provides food and water and God assures her that he'll bless Ishmael and, and make him into a great nation. You see, both this account of Hagar and the next one about Abimelech are so crucial in the unfolding story of the Bible and the unfolding history of the world because they show that although God was doing something special through Abraham's descendants, although God was doing something special through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and and those who would come after, although God was doing something special with them, that didn't mean that God didn't care about everybody else. God heard the Egyptian Hagar and the illegitimate son Ishmael. And God condescended to them in love and compassion. God speaks to them. In Genesis, God almost only ever speaks to the patriarchs, that is, to people like Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. But God speaks to this Egyptian servant and to her illegitimate son. God, as we're often told in the Bible, is a God who hears the cries of the afflicted. We used to joke in my family that my sister, you could never say, one of my sisters, you could never say anything about her because she'd always hear. She'd be at the other end of the house uh, and you'd, you'd say something about her in a conversation And the next moment, she'd have run from the other end of the house, she'd be standing in the doorway and demanding to know what it was that you were saying. 
She had great ears. And God is a God who has great ears. He has ears attuned to hearing the cries of people who are broken and hurting and sorrowful. God is a God who loves to show mercy and kindness and compassion. You might think to yourself, well, God won't hear me because I'm not a Christian. God won't hear me because of this problem in my life. But God is in the business of hearing the cries of people who call out to him. You can know that if you cry out to God to save you and Jesus from sin and rebellion and death, you can know that God will hear you. There may be lots of other things that you don't know, but you'll know that God hears. Listen to these words from the Apostle Paul. Whoever calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. It's that simple. You can call out in the smallest voice from the deepest cave in the earth. And God will hear because God is a God who hears the cries of those who call out to him. Well, God is a God who keeps his promise to give Abraham a son, a son uh, whose descendant Jesus will uh, finally rescue uh, his people from sin. We've also seen that even though God is doing something through those people, through the line of Isaac and Abraham, that doesn't mean that God has cast everybody else off, but he's a God of great compassion. But the second account about a stranger in Genesis 21 is the account of Abraham's covenant with Abimelech. Now, Abimelech was the king of a local nation, and he's already appeared the chapter before in chapter 20, and it's worth just skipping back to that uh, to read that chapter to get a sense of who Abimelech is. So turn back to Genesis chapter 20. Where it says, Now Abraham moved on from there into the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. For a while he stayed in Gerar, and there Abraham said of his wife Sarah, She is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, You are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, she is my sister? And didn't she also say, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in uh, in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Now return the man's wife, for he is a prophet, and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all yours will die. Early the next morning, Abimelech summoned all his officials, and when he told them all that had happened, they were very much afraid. Then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, What have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you have brought such guilt Great guilt upon me and my kingdom. You have done things to me that should not be done. And Abimelech asked Abraham, 
what was your reason for doing this? Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when God had me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, save me, he is my brother. Then Abimelech brought sheep and cattle and male and female slaves and gave them to Abraham. And he returned Sarah, his wife, to him. And Abimelech said, my land is before you, live wherever you like. To Sarah he said, I'm giving your brother a thousand shekels of silver. This is to cover the offence against you before all uh, who are with you. You are completely vindicated. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech, his wife, and his slave girls, so that they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Although Abraham says that he said to himself, there is surely no fear of God in this place, it seems that Abimelech is a man who fears God. He describes his own actions, Abimelech describes his own actions in verse 5 of chapter 20, saying literally, in the integrity of my heart and the innocence of my hands, I have done this. It's a similar description to that used of Noah, who's described as blameless and righteous. And it's similar to the way that God calls Abraham to walk before him in blamelessness and integrity. And it's actually similar to some of the statements that are made about people in the Psalms as well, like in Psalm 24 and uh, Psalm 15, I think. God doesn't dispute Abimelech's self-description, but rather confirms it and basically says, I know how you've acted, because it was me who kept you from sinning. In contrast to Abraham, who shows himself in chapter 20 to be a bit dodgy, Abimelech shows himself to be a man who fears God and who listens to God, and indeed a man who forgives Abraham. But now in chapter 21, Abimelech seeks to bind himself to Abraham. He says in Chapter 21, verse 22. God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me in the country where you are living as an alien the same kindness I have shown you. The two men go on to make a sworn agreement, a covenant. And Abimelech's covenant with Abraham is a working out of what God had said way back in Genesis 12, that whoever blesses Abraham will be blessed, and whoever curses Abraham will be cursed. That is, God has promised to bless the world through Abraham and his descendants, and whoever aligns themselves with what God has promised, with what God is doing through them, whoever aligns themselves with that, will be caught up in that promise, in that blessing. So someone will look at Abraham and think, God is blessing the world through Abraham over there. Well, I'm sticking with him. And that's exactly what Abimelech did. He said, God's doing something great through Abraham. I am with that guy. And 
And throughout the Old Testament, other people did exactly the same thing. Think of Rahab the prostitute in Jericho, city about to be destroyed. I'm with those guys. (laughs) I'm with the descendants of Abraham. Or Ruth. Your God is my God. Your people are my people. God's doing something great through, through you. I'm with you. Or Nebuchadnezzar, the king who was holding the people of God in exile in Babylon. Or Naaman, the commander of the army of Aaron. I'm with them. Abimelech's response, I think, also helps us to understand Ishmael's folly in mocking Isaac, the promised son. Because to to reject what God was doing through that line of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and so on to Jesus Christ, to reject that was to reject the gospel. And the only place you end up then is in the desert, in a barren wasteland. If the account of Hagar and Ishmael shows God's concern for those outside the family of Abraham and Isaac, the account of Abraham's covenant with Abimelech shows the means by which others can share in that great blessing and promise. And in the same way, we share in God's promise to bless the world, not by aligning ourselves first and foremost with Abraham, but with Abraham's descendant, Jesus Christ, the one through whom God has fulfilled his promise to to fix the world, to rescue people from sin and bring forgiveness and life. There is no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. Who do you need to know? You need to know Jesus. You need to say, I'm with him. I'm with that guy. (laughs) God's doing something through him. And I'm I'm there. And who do the people out there need to know? They need to know Jesus too. They need to know God's Son. Abraham's son and Eve's son through whom God is putting the world right. I walked through the shopping centre in Kings Meadows yesterday and sometimes I just find it so overwhelming to look at the people there living their ordinary lives and they don't know Christ. They need to know Jesus because it's through Jesus that God is putting the world right. We're broken people living in a broken world. What a relief it is to know that God is a God who keeps his word. He's a God who keeps his promise to rescue the world after all that we've done in trying to break it. To know that God is a God who hears the cry of the afflicted. And to know that God is a God who rescues those who join themselves to his great son, Jesus Christ. Let me pray.
Dear Heavenly Father, we are overwhelmed at times by the enormity of the problems in our world. Lord, as we see people fleeing from war, crossing continents in great hardship and in great danger, Uh, Lord, as we see problems that we don't know how to solve, as we live in bodies that are broken and breaking more and more, Lord, we feel overwhelmed by the reality of our world, marred as it is by our own sin and our own rebellion. Lord, we see people going to hell without Christ. Lord, thank you that you, though, are a God who is faithful and patient and kind, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Lord, thank you that you are a God who keeps your promise to rescue those who put their trust in Jesus. Thank you that you are a God who hears the cries of those who call out to you. And thank you, Lord, that you are a God who rescues us not because of any greatness that we have done, but simply because we have the eyes to see that in Jesus Christ you have fulfilled all your promises and that if we trust him, we can share in your great blessing for the world as well. Lord, help us to know that. Help us to help others to know that as well. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.